Good morning. Before uh, we get into the text today, I want to remind you that next Thursday, not this Thursday, next Thursday, we are doing our next family chat. We had one back in August. Uh, we're doing another one. Um, and uh, the goal of it is uh, to just chat as a family because this is a family. And we want to share with you some of the things that are on our hearts, some of the things that we're thinking through. Uh, want to talk with you about our long-term plans to always worship under a tent. Just kidding. I know some of you, like Laird, who just whooped about that, uh, think that that sounds awesome. Others of you have uh, been thinking, uh, yeah, this has been long enough already. Uh, we want to talk about some of those things. Uh, we want to talk about kind of some of the things we're thinking through and praying through as a team. I want to give an update. Uh, as you may remember, we told you at the last one that we were in an interviewing process for our student ministry director position, and we were interviewing a candidate that very week. And obviously, since we haven't announced somebody to you, you probably know that that didn't quite uh, work out, that that was the right person. And so I want to give you an update on where we are in that process. And so family chat, uh, October 15th. It's a Thursday night. Uh, we're going to do it live streaming, which I really kind of am laughing at myself for saying that, since right now the live stream's not working. Uh, so uh, we'll make sure it's working by then. Um, anyways, uh, we're looking forward to that night. I hope you can join us either at home on that live stream or we are going to have people out here. Uh, we were thinking we were going to fully enclose the tent and allow a limited number inside. Uh, the walls just didn't really work the way we wanted this week, so it might be an unlimited number. So we'd love for you to join us. That's going to be a great night. Uh, however you want to come, uh, whether on live stream, which we will work on making sure that's working, or here in person, uh, we might just be gathering around the bonfire over there that we're working on. That's going to be great. Uh, let's dive into the word this morning. Uh, but before we get there, um, what, what do you crave? When I say the word crave, something probably comes to mind. Some of you right now are craving hot chocolate or a hot cup of coffee. Uh, some of you are craving your bed or your couch or that heat that you are not having at home. Um, when I think of cravings, though, what I, what I wanted to tell you about, if you know me, uh, you know that I crave some things, um, and they're all food-related. I think we all think of food, but I, I have some strong cravings. And if you know me well, you know I'm from Chicago, and that I, I really love Chicago-style pizza. Now, don't tell me that you've had Chicago-style pizza if you've gone to Acme and Holly Springs. That, that's a fake representation of Chicago-style pizza. They do their best, but it's not Chicago-style pizza. Chicago-style pizza... It's just a goodness that you don't know if you haven't been there. I saw Carl Reynolds' hand back there. He knows Chicago-style pizza. My man, we can reconnect on that. And if you've never experienced it, we'd love to tell you afterwards about the goodness that is Chicago-style pizza. There's just, once you've tasted the real thing, the Geno's East Frozen box just doesn't do it, even though it's available at Publix or Harris Teeter. Um, the same thing with coffee for me. I don't know about you. I was introduced uh, to coffee in high school. Um, by uh, a youth pastor, yes, uh, it was his fault, um, and, and I started with the frou-frou stuff, and, and I eventually grew to love just a really good black cup of coffee, uh, and now I start every day with a cold brew, because I like cold brew, and I can share more about why that's important to me, but a really good cold brew cup of coffee with a little bit of almond milk, and that's all I need. I had it this morning, my half-drank cup is right there in front of Sam, um, I just crave a good cup of coffee. Now, I don't crave Folgers. I'm sorry if Folgers is your <laughs> coffee of preference. I'm not shaming you for that. Uh, but I crave a counterculture cup of coffee. I crave Dan Crystal bringing me freshly roasted beans from his house that is just the goodness of that work and that effort that he put into making that amazing cup of coffee. That's, 
That's what I crave. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk about craving. And, and if you notice something, I just talked about a couple cravings I have, and if we asked you to share your cravings, uh, we would come back to a common theme that you can't crave something you've never tasted. Can you? Maybe you think you know what it's going to be like, but until you've really had that thing, you can't really crave it. And so um, I want to give you two big ideas. They're also in your app. I'm going to flesh these out a little bit here. You cannot crave what you haven't tasted. And once you've tasted the very best, nothing else is going to satisfy. Like my pizza. I, I like good pizza, and I go to all the local places. But, man, if you told me you were going to fly me to Florida, to Orlando, the one other place that's a little bit closer than Chicago, and that sometimes because we're Disney fanatics in our family, we do have Giordano's in Florida, or you're going to take me to Chicago. Those are the two places where I'd say, yes, it's the real deal. I'm going to have Giordano's, my favorite Chicago-style pizza. Like, nothing else will satisfy. I will go eat it acne with you, but it doesn't satisfy the way Giordano's, that's my favorite, um, would do. So, um, our outline today is that in 1 Peter, we see a theme of, of birth, this new birth. And in this new birth, we have a new identity. And in that new identity, we have a new appetite. And that new appetite, that new nourishment, that new thing that fills us up, gives us a new way of living. And so we're going to jump into this Today. It's kind of actually a continuation of last week's text. Matt gave us um, a, a, a challenge from the first part, and so you're going to see that we actually have a repetition of the text. And so I want to read 1 Peter 1, 22-23, and then we're going to talk about cravings and babies. And so that's where we're going to go today. So join me in reading 1 Peter 1, 22-23. I'm going to read this. You just uh, sit in the, as these words um, are, are read, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about them. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're, gonna, we're not going to follow this through in a linear fashion. We're actually going to kind of jump around a little bit because uh, the way Peter writes this, it's, it's not just these three verses by itself. But we're noticing a theme, and I want you to think about this. If you've been with us for this whole series, there have been at least four different times, maybe even five, where Peter uses this idea of family, of father and child, and of new birth in this text. You notice it in verse 3 where he says that we are born again, and he talks about what that looks like, and we went through that a few weeks ago. You see in verse 14 where he calls us children. You see again in verse 23 that we just read where he says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And then he calls us, or the recipients of the letter, infants, and gives them a challenge. Because you are this, here's what you should long for. When we see these analogies, I know I, I can tend to sometimes assume I know what the author is saying and just kind of gloss over it. But uh, as I've been in this text and thinking through it, I camped out for a while and said, God, why, why this analogy of born again? 
Why new birth? What is the importance of that? And, and so I want to talk about babies for a second. I don't know if you noticed, but during our prayer time, there were a few cries from two or three of our delightful little babies. And uh, because we don't have a packed out nursery over in the cafeteria of Panther Creek right now, you may not have noticed, but we have a, had our, 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 our baby boom. It comes every year or two. Uh, we had eight new babies already this year in our Northwest Community Church family. They're all amazing. I'm not at all biased. Um, two of them are related to me. One is my son. One is my nephew. Uh, we have Quinn. We have Rose. We have Shepard. We have Cora. We have Eloise, Asher, Helena, Benson, and of course, Miles. These babies are amazing. And if you haven't met them, I encourage you to seek out those families. A few of them are here today. Um, and, uh, and we'd love to, for you to introduce you to these, these children who are just amazing creatures, amazing parts of this family, amazing, uh, unique designed members of our unique families. And, and one of the things that I want you to think about with me is that um, when Miles was born, I can only speak to Miles' birth, I don't know about the others, but Miles didn't do anything to be born. Uh, he did not make any effort. Uh, he just came out. Uh, somebody else did all the work. Shannon did a lot of work to make sure. She went through a lot of labor and pain and a, uh, 10 months of, of all of that enduring that all of you who have had a baby know what that's like. But Miles himself did not earn the right to be called a part of our family. He was just born into it. He was just given that identity because he was my son, because he came from Shannon, because he's part of our family. He just received it. He did absolutely no work to, to receive that, no work to achieve it. He doesn't have to do any work to, to continue it. He just has that identity. And so when, I, when we see this word, used again and again, when we see this idea of being infants, of being born again, I think Peter and Paul and Jesus have something in mind that he, they want us to know. In fact, we, we know this for a fact. If you have your Bible and you want to flip back to John 3, we're not going to do this for long, but uh, Jesus uses this phrase when he met a man named Nicodemus. Um, and and, and this, uh, this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he goes on and shares a little bit more and basically says, and you're born again by the Spirit. And why does this matter? Like, I think we can sometimes read over that and say, oh yeah, that's great, that's great. You know, Nicodemus, um, Jesus is telling this Jewish guy that he should be born again, uh, born, born by the Spirit, yada, yada, yada. Well, why does that matter? Well, Nicodemus was not just any ordinary Jewish man. By being a Pharisee, if, if you've not studied this, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing to study um, because it's really great to not be a Pharisee. Uh, because the Pharisees uh, looked at the Old Testament and saw 613 laws. They saw 248 do's, so do this, do this, do this, and 365 don'ts. And they said, we are going to hold to every single one of those down to the, the minutiae of that statement. In fact, we so don't want to touch that rule that we're going to add a few other layers of rules around it so that we are nowhere near what it would be to break that rule because that's the way that we are going to honor God. And so the Pharisees were, man, if you were friends with a Pharisee, you knew that guy was going to be worth what he said he was. He, is he, if he tells you he's going to be there, man, he's going to be there, he's going to be there early, and he was going to do his job. These were moral, upstanding people, maybe way too moral and upstanding because it became so legalistic and so, uh, so beyond what God intended. L listen to this. So, so one of the laws of the Old Testament is that you should keep the Sabbath holy and you shouldn't do work on the Sabbath. Well, so the Pharisees want to know, well, is tying a knot work? Is pushing a chair into the table work? 
work. And so the Pharisees came up with all of these different rules and parameters around, oh, well, we can't do that, but we can't tie a knot around the bucket, but a woman is allowed to tie a scarf. So if when she ties her scarf, she ties it around the bucket, and then we pull up water with the scarf, oh, well, that's okay. And so it's this crazy mentality that they had that Jesus is kind of countering here, saying, look, you're born by the Spirit, not by those things you do. And, and, and Nicodemus would have been hearing this, and, and probably at first he's probably shocked by it. We really don't know a lot about it. But at the end of John, we see that Nicodemus was there to help bury Jesus. Nicodemus came with possibly 100 pounds of spices to be part of the embalming process, which may or may not tell us something about what Nicodemus believed about who Jesus was. We don't really know, but I tend to believe that he definitely took Jesus at his word and believed something was going on. And we think Nicodemus, based on historical record, Nicodemus did come to know Christ as his Savior. He did become born again. But the point was not that Nicodemus was born again because of all the things he did. The point was that Nicodemus was born again by the Spirit. And 1 Peter wants us to know that. He would have been talking to people that knew this story, would know about Nicodemus, would know about Jesus saying these things. And so we can't miss that this new birth is an important part of who we are, and it's an important part of this text that we're in here. That when he tells us that like newborn babies were to crave something, we can't miss why we're being called newborn babies. It's not offensive. I don't know about you, but I'm in the stage where in our family, certain words might get tossed around by little kids, and it's offensive. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago about somebody said this, and it really hurt my daughter's feelings, and, and rightfully so, because she, she didn't know what they meant by it. But if, if I said, hey, you're such a baby to you, that's kind of offensive, right? If I, if I said that to you, you're like, well, don't call me a baby. And, but Peter doesn't mean offense by that. He's, he's affirming us that you're a baby in that you've been given this identity that you didn't earn, but it is yours now. So, so let's live out of it. Let's talk about what that looks like. So, so we start here where we have this new birth, which gives us a new identity. And out of that new identity comes cravings, because now we continue in this whole line of thought about babies. First Peter uh, talks about these babies in the sense that, like a newborn infant, we should long for spiritual milk. Well, I don't know about you, but for the last seven months, we're now to nine months, and Miles has now gone out of the, the milk craving stage and now craves other things, but for the first while, all he wanted was milk. He didn't really crave anything else. That was what he needed. That was the nourishment that he was provided because he was introduced to it at an early age that this is what's going to pacify me. There's times where you try, I don't know about you guys, but we had all sorts of tricks that we try, you know, uh, times when you're outside with friends like you're here and you're swinging the car seat this way and that and trying to do all those crazy things or you're rocking it back and forth and your arms are getting tired because you keep doing the same thing over and over thinking it's going to stop the crying and nothing works because what he's craving is that nourishment. What he's craving is that milk. And so um, Peter is challenging us with this idea of, hey, like babies crave that milk, here's what you're to crave. And so what he says is that we're to crave the pure spiritual milk. That word pure spiritual milk, I think sometimes we, we could put all sorts of things on that, but the word spiritual there has the same root, which is for the word, in the previous verses. So he's talking about the word, which is the gospel, the word, which is God's word. So he's saying, crave the milk of the word, some translations say. And so if we have this new identity, then our appetite is to be for this milk of the word. And our appetite can only be satisfied by this nourishment that comes from that from the, from, from, from the word. Um, just as Miles was not satisfied for so long by anything else except for that word, except for that milk, uh, he's, he's now growing, as we see this example here, that we should be growing in that. But at, at our start, at our, at, our, at our foundation, we are nourished by the milk of the word. 
And so we are called, as First Peter is challenging us here, to understand that our identity is as newborn children, and our nourishment comes from the Word. It doesn't come from anywhere else. But he doesn't just say, oh yeah, you should be nourished by the Word. At the end of, that, at the end of this verse, what does he say? He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That remem- reminds us of Psalm 34 on the kids' coloring sheets. For you kids that are doing that, you have Psalm 34 in there that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not that Peter is telling us, Hey, just be nourished by this thing that you've never experienced before. He's saying, Hey, if you're in Christ, you have experienced that goodness. If you're in Christ, you know how good it is. And so, of course, you're going to want more. Do you crave something? Back to my initial idea. Do you crave something you haven't tasted? Do you crave something that you don't know why it's good? Do you crave something? Do you crave something that that actually doesn't do anything for you? No. We crave things where the taste is so good. We crave something where we see the results. We're like, oh my goodness, maybe it's not all about the taste. It's about, hey, when I eat that, it makes my body have energy, and then I get to experience this other joy of, of running or biking or being with my family. Whatever it is, the things that nourish you and build you up are the things that then you want more of. And so um, Peter draws our attention here to what we're going to crave if we are in Christ, if we have this new identity, is we're going to crave this thing that we tasted that was good, which is how we got our new identity. The goodness is the gospel. The goodness is that we are in Christ and it doesn't have anything to do with who we are. That's so good and you've tasted that, so don't you want more of it? Peter draws our attention to the fact that we're craving God's goodness. We're not just craving this thing that has no meaning to us. We're not just craving something that maybe is actually really terrible for us. We're craving this sweetness that comes from God and his word. And it's important for us to understand what that means. And it's important for us to think back on maybe you're experiencing a moment where you're like, I don't crave that goodness because it doesn't taste so good right now. And if that's you, that's okay. Maybe you need somebody else to come alongside and remind you of the goodness that is in Christ. Uh, Maybe you would say, I've never tasted that. In fact, all I've ever tasted, when you say tasted God's word, I've only ever tasted judgment. I've only ever tasted condemnation. I've only ever tasted that I'm a terrible person. Well, then guess what? You haven't yet tasted the goodness that is God in Christ Jesus. And so today's a great day to taste it. We would love to introduce you to that goodness that is in Christ Jesus. If your experience with God's word is bitterness and is is resentment and is condemnation. Maybe you grew up in in a a place where maybe you grew up under the modern-day Pharisee that all it was was rules, 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 not experiencing the sweetness that is Christ Jesus, then we'd love to introduce you to him. I'd love for you to think about as well, maybe, maybe it's not that you've never tasted his goodness. Maybe it's that right now it doesn't taste so good, or maybe it's right now you just aren't craving it. Um, I've been there. We've all been there. Uh, we don't always crave it. And, and you know what? That's okay. We need to confess that. Uh, and sometimes, as Matt challenged us last week, sometimes you know the right thing to do and you just do it because you know it's obedience to Christ. And then you're going to grow and grow and grow to actually t- start to love it. How many of you have loved salads your entire lives? 
Yep, nobody. Awesome. Uh, maybe there was one hand back there. I see one or two hands. All right. I, I, well, my parents didn't make me eat salad. I ate broccoli. That was probably the only, broccoli and green beans were the two greens I ate as a kid. Um, then I got to college and I started to say, wait a minute, I'm an adult. I have to make decisions for myself. I'm going to start to eat those things that I know will actually be good for me. And then I started to say, wow, I really like that. And if you asked me today what my first choice for lunch would be, well, it wouldn't be a salad. But if you said, hey, we're going to Panera, I'd say, you know what? That, that Thai chicken salad is really good. It's really healthy for me. Well, I don't know if it's really healthy for me. It's more healthy than some of the other options. But I've started to have a taste for things that I didn't have a taste for, but I started to taste it because I knew it was good for me. I knew it was for my good that I would start to actually eat healthy food, not just chicken, hot dogs, and anything that could be dipped in ketchup. Um, and so over time, as I've grown as an adult, and as I've, as I've grown in Christ, I've started to experience these times where I, I sometimes have to make myself crave these things, but then it, you start to want more of it. And I, I, I want to tell you that I've been in a season um, the past two years where um, just sensing just weariness in my own personal life from different experiences, from uh, parenting and marriage and ministry and life, and then you add COVID, and it's like, wow, this is just getting better. And yet, right now, I would love to share with you all the things where I see God's goodness. But one of the things that I've seen in my personal life is I have tried to take some words from a mentor of mine, a coach of mine, who challenged me to look at Joshua 1.8 and read it and say, when it says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, and it will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. And then we read Psalm 19, and then we read Psalm 119, and we get... We went through these passages, and he said, David, what are you hearing? I said, I'm hearing that I need to chew on God's word more. I'm hearing that I need to taste and see the goodness of God. And he said, that's exactly right. How are you going to do that? I said, I don't know, but I guess I need it, because I'm not seeing a pattern of tasting that. I'm actually feeling kind of frustrated. He said, let's start here, and he challenged me to start journaling. He challenged me to get into the word and just to write out, God, where is my heart? And then say, God, where are you going to meet me in that heart? And what is my one next step? And, and I can look in my journal and I can see over the last two years patterns of things that God is breaking me of. Not patterns that I have had extreme success in yet, but patterns of places, anxiousness, control, things where I'm like, that is not what I want God to, to that's not what I, what I want to be true of me. I want God to meet me in those things. And I can see we're doing that daily work of remembering his goodness yesterday and bringing to him where I am today and then seeing him meet me again. And it's been so healing. And that's what I believe Peter means by tasting and craving the word of God, craving the spiritual milk. It's not craving a list of rules. It's craving the sustenance that comes from God meeting us with his goodness. And so our last part here is that if we have this appetite and if we start to build up this nourishment, Matt challenged us last week with one of the actions that's going to happen. You can't help but love other people if God is doing that work in you. You can't help but love in a pure way if God is meeting you in all of those things. And so that was kind of the first part of the challenge last week in 122 through 25. And then the second part is what Peter gives us here, which is the first verse of our passage today that I don't want to spend a lot of time in. But I do want to remind us of, because I think it's particularly fitting right now, that what doesn't it look like then? So if you have a new identity... And if you have a new appetite, then what does your life look like? Well, if you're tasting of God's goodness, then you just can't be malicious. God's goodness and maliciousness, evil, 
don't go together. And you might hear malicious and say, I have never been malicious in my life. Only those evil people in Disney movies and only those rulers in foreign countries that are terrible, they're the only malicious people. I would challenge you to say that maliciousness is probably true in all of our lives because maliciousness is when we want someone else to be harmed or hurt by something. Maliciousness might be that feeling you feel uh, towards that person that took advantage of you in a big business deal. That maliciousness might be that feeling you feel towards a politician. Maliciousness might be that thing you feel towards your neighbor who ruined their grass and now it's ruining yours. Maliciousness might be a lot of things, but, but those things can't coincide with the goodness of God. And maliciousness leads to deceit. Deceit is where we lie so that other people might not believe things that are true of us or so that we can push ourselves forward in that maliciousness and, and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is kind of like lying, but it's, it's not just lying. It's also it's concealing the real you so that, um, so that people don't know the real you. And, and if our goodness, if our tasting of the goodness comes from our identity in Christ, that because we were born into it, we didn't even earn it, there's no fear of people knowing the real us because the real us is rooted in something that we didn't even do. God gave us this new identity. We don't even have to worry about people knowing the real us because the real us is something that God is continually remaking. If you've not been overcome by God's goodness, then it makes sense why we'd want to represent ourselves in a way that makes us look better. But if you've met God's goodness, then we ought not care how other people see us. So hypocrisy wouldn't be present. Hypocrisy wouldn't matter because why would I want to represent something that's not true of me? Why would I want to deceive you? Why would I want to treat you poorly? If we've met God's goodness, nothing else tastes good. So why would we want what our neighbor has? Why would we care about envy? Why would that matter? Why would we slander someone to make you look bad if all I care about is how God's goodness is remaking me? These words right here that we see in 1 Peter 1, uh, 2, verse 1, are, are how P Peter's just challenging us that, hey, these aren't the things that make you new. These are the things that are going to result because you've been made new. He doesn't say, put these things off and then I'm going to make you a new creation. God's going to do that work. He says, put these things off because you've tasted how good God is. How is it possible that those things can coexist together? We see it throughout scripture. You can't serve two masters if your master is God's goodness, then those things aren't going to exist with it. So our new birth has created a new identity, and it's created a new appetite. It should have created a new craving for us, and that new craving is fueled by God's goodness. And so I just have a few questions to close. My question first is, what do you crave? What do you fill yourself up with? And I don't mean food. I mean when you are going to bed at night and you're trying to figure out what to do to calm your mind down, do you go doom scroll? Do you go, do you go through all that terrible stuff on Twitter or Facebook? I hear chuckles, but I know it's true because I've done it. What are you craving? Why not fill yourself with the goodness of God's word? What do you need to do to taste and to remember? Maybe you'd say, David, I just, I'm not tasting it today. And then my, my challenge is, who in your life could you ask to help you taste? Who in your life could you say, will you remind me of God's goodness in your life? So that maybe I can see him in my life. Maybe somebody in your life that knew that God's goodness showed up before, they can remind you in your life of when God's goodness was there. And if you'd say, David, I crave it, I'm with you, what do we do next? Then I got a challenge for you. My question is, how are you helping others taste God's goodness? 
How does your life not reek of malice and envy and deceit and slander, but how does your life just have that sweet aroma of amazing coffee? How does your life have that aroma of God's goodness? Whatever it is that is that you're craving, if you're craving that pure milk of God's word, how are you helping others taste his goodness? I'll close with this reminder of the big idea, which is that you can't crave what you haven't tasted. And if you haven't tasted it, then we'd love to introduce you to it today. Back to Nicodemus, he didn't do a thing. His laws and rules didn't get him there. It came by Christ and Christ alone. And once you've tasted the best, nothing else is going to satisfy. Don't, don't let a false, a false hope in a country that is not where our hope should be satisfy you or try to satisfy you. Or don't put so much in that. Don't let relationships that are broken and wounded be the thing that you try to go to to satisfy you. Work towards God's goodness in those things. I want to close us just by praying, and I'm going to pray Psalm 73, 28. Um, you can jot it down if you want to. Psalm 73, 28 says, But for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Heavenly Father, today, may we declare your good works in our lives. God, may we sense your presence in the ways you meet us and you create a craving in us. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today that would say, I'm weary and I'm not tasting that goodness. In fact, I just taste judgment. I just taste all the things that bother me about Christians around me. Oh, I just taste all the things in my past that keep me from you. God, would you do a work in their heart this morning? Father, for anyone here today that would say, I used to taste it, but I don't taste it today. God, would you give them the boldness to walk up to a friend or a family member and ask them to simply meet with them and remind them of God's goodness. Father, would you taste so good to us that nothing else would fulfill us? God, would you uh, make us a church that sings of the goodness of God every single moment of every single day? God, would as we prayed earlier today, as we uh, our burden for our community and for our nation and for our families and for all the things around us. God, would you uh, be the goodness that we taste, that we crave, that we know to be true. Father, we thank you that in Christ alone we have a new identity and in Christ alone we have an appetite only for you and for the work you've done in our lives. God, as we continue in worshiping you this morning, may it be a sweet song to your ears as you hear us praise you and sing of your goodness. We love you. It's in your name we pray.